0: I was surprised by how quickly analysts and folks were you know, looking into making this sort of an official category. I think it was way earlier than I had expected. And I attribute that to the fact that data observability has you know, become so important in the last few years. This is Unicorn Builders, where we tell the untold stories of the founders who've defied the odds and built billion dollar companies Here's your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines.io. Now, let's jump straight into today's episode.
1: Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Bar Moses, co-founder and CEO of Monte Carlo, a data observability platform that's raised over $230 million in funding. Bar, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. No problem. So before we can talk about everything you're building there at Monte Carlo, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background?
0: Yes, for sure. So I'm the CEO and co-founder of Monte Carlo, uh, the data observability platform. The best way to think about us is just like AppDynamics, Datadog, New Relic for engineering. We do the same thing for data teams. So we help data teams build reliable data products. I am originally born and raised in Israel. So started my career Israeli Air Force, actually. Uh, Later on, moved to California. I've been here for over a decade, I guess. Worked with data, math, and analytics throughout my career. You know, I was fortunate prior to Monte Carlo to be part of category creation at Gainsight, which was a lot of fun uh, building the company.
1: And yeah, I'll keep it brief. So one question on the military background there. If you had to choose one big takeaway from your time in the Israeli military, what would it be?
0: I mean, I think it's obviously a very unique experience, right? So, you know, I was 18 years old, drafted with, you know, many other 18 years old, and you're given a ton of responsibility very early on. I actually worked with data, uh, even then, obviously, you know, the definition of what data is and how you work with it and what, you know, the term data science wasn't even a thing back then. But I would say, you know, having to deal with challenges, basically what we were working on was analyzing data and supplying that for operational teams in the field. And so, you know, I think at a very early age, I was tasked with leading a group of young people to accomplish a mission and a challenge using data. And so very early on sort of was exposed to both the challenges of delivering accurate, reliable data and also of leading teams at a very young age. You know, I had very little training, basically none really. And yet we had to deliver you know, strong analytical solutions in in a very short timeline and, and deadline. And so I learned a lot about camaraderie and team building. I learned a lot about myself, you know, what makes me resilient, what I need to do to stay strong. And, you know, what are the areas where I'm personally vulnerable? And, you know, on the professional side, what is important in, you know, working with a team together to deliver a strong product?
1: Nice. That's amazing. And you didn't go into cybersecurity. I think I've had probably 20 or 30 <laughs> founders on uh, mid and they all went into cybersecurity.
0: That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right.
1: <laughs> now, what about CEOs? Is there a specific CEO that you really admire? And if so, who is it? And, and what do you admire about them?
0: Yeah, great question. I mean, you know, I would say my kind of personal sort of inspiration are at a young age, my mom is actually, you know, kind of an entrepreneur. She has her own business. And so I watched her kind of, you know, growing up. It's funny, my mom, she has kind of her own business. Uh, she teaches like meditation and dance. And my dad is a physics professor. So I grew up with like opposite, you know, ends of the spectrum. But definitely, you know, entrepreneurship was sort of something that I got exposed to in an early age. And then, you know, in later years, I definitely have kind of a appreciation for founding CEOs, with built companies from scratch. So really anyone who like embarks on that journey, I think the entrepreneurial journey is extremely hard and I have a lot of respect for anyone on it. And I would say creating a category is even harder, I think, because you're really like, there's no budget line item for the customer that's acquiring your solution. So it's basically, you know, a product that's never been built, never been sold and never been used by customers. And to build a business around that and to build a category, it, it's really quite magical and takes various capabilities. And so, you know, just a couple of folks, like I think Edith. Harbo had launched darkly. I think there's kind of an inspiring story there of identifying product market fit and scaling it to thousands of customers in a few short years. I think, you know, Amit Bendov at Gong. I think this category creation story, what they did for sales team, really resonated for me in terms of understanding the audience. Like you rarely see a B2B company that does such a great work of marketing to their... like understanding where their audience is, where their audience hangs out and what their audience cares about. We learned a lot from that. And then the last that comes to mind, obviously in the data infrastructure space, I think Ali from Databricks has really interesting insights and stories, which inspired me in the early days. You know, a lot of them about making decisions quickly, moving fast. And, you know, I think we're seeing this explosion of data infrastructure along with Databricks, Snowflake, BigQuery. You know, all of these solutions really kind of have, honestly, unprecedented growth in the last few years. And I think it's, you know, there's a lot to learn from those businesses.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think all great founders, but especially on the category creation side, Gong has just been so fun to watch and they're so good. And like their strategic narrative that they developed and have pushed out the market of say goodbye. What is it exactly? It's like say goodbye to opinions, hello, reality, something catchy like that. They've just done such a good job.
0: Yes, 100%. I agree with you. I think it's about understanding your audience very deeply. Like that, I think, is a big difference. I think oftentimes it's easy to market or create content with yourself, but with your own company in mind. And so you're speaking your language. You're speaking, you know, kind of how you're thinking about the problem. It's very different to come from that angle versus what is the language that our customers are using? What words do they use to describe their own problem? You know, if you were to ask them about their what keeps them up at night, how do they describe that? And I think that kind of ability to capture that in the moment is very powerful.
1: And Monte Carlo has done such a great job at that. You know, the first time I heard about Monte Carlo was in 2021, like summer 2021. And we were working with the client on their website copy. And they sent Monte Carlo as an example. And they said, look at how they explain things. Look at how they frame things. It's such simple language. Like This is what we want. This is how we want to communicate. How did Monte Carlo get that right? And how did you get that right? Was it always that clear from the start? Or did you have to learn how to communicate very, very clearly and in in very simple terms like that?
0: That's awesome and hilarious because, you know, we actually took us a long time to get our first website. Uh, I think it was maybe a couple of years into the company's existence. We already had a product, we had customers, we had the full thing where we didn't have a website. And It was really because we were focusing on building a product, making customers happy and getting customers. And that was our sole focus. I really believe in kind of being, you know, extreme in in our focus. And the only thing that matters at Monte Carlo now and forever is, you know, getting as many customers as possible and making customers as happy as possible. And every single person at Monte Carlo should be working towards one of those two goals. And if not, then we're doing something wrong. Um, And in the early days, that was way more important than building a website. And so we actually ended up not doing that for a while. And then the very first iteration of the website was really sort of the goal of, you know, because it's a new category, so for folks who don't know, I'll just give a little bit of context. Monte Crawl is pioneering a category called data observability. And the idea or kind of the pain point of what we're solving is, and this, you know, probably happens to anyone working with data. You wake up on Monday morning, you look at your report or your dashboard, or you just log into your email and you get 100 emails saying, hey, WTF, the data looks wrong. Like someone is just about to use data and something is off. Like maybe a report didn't get updated or the data didn't arrive on time or someone made a change somewhere. For some reason, the data looks off and you don't know why. And so we help companies or data teams make sure that they are not blind in this case. So that Make sure that data teams are the first to know about data problems. They're able to resolve them quickly and actually prevent them from happening. Now, we didn't invent this pain. This pain has been around forever for a really long time. But the idea that there's actually a solution to this is something novel. And the solution comes from a corollary from software engineering. So software engineers build reliable, secure, scalable products. And they do that oftentimes using APM solutions or frameworks or concepts, solutions such as I mentioned Datadog, New Relic, AppDynamics at the time, and the idea is, what if you can bring those concepts to the data teams, to data products, and basically implement concepts of software observability to data? And that's how data observability was born. And so when you think about what our audience thinks or how our audience you know, sort of operates, these are you know, data analysts, data scientists, data engineers that they wake up in the morning and they're really upset that their data is wrong but they're not necessarily looking up, hey, is there a solution for data observability because they may not have heard the term yet. And so in the early days, we had to actually think of our website and marketing efforts as really category creation efforts. So it was less around Monte Carlo and more around helping folks understand that there is actually a solution to this, which is something that we really sort of had to really focus on. And, you know, I'm thrilled to say, you know, several years later, that I, I'm happy to kind of uh, reflect back and see that this category has been created. Um, data observability is a thing now, but it's very important to us kind of to, to remember as a company that we don't exist without the category. And so, you know, early days, but also today, I personally spent a ton of time with customers, prospects and, you know, data people on you know, a daily basis to hear from them, what are their pains, what are the problems and how are they thinking about solving them? And so a lot of the work in the first website was to reflect what we heard. Because the honest truth is like, you know, your customers don't care about your company. They don't care about the category. They don't care about the fact that you're trying to create a category. They care about their problems. And so focusing on that and narrowing down on that is where we sort of found the truth, if you will.
1: Makes a lot of sense. And, and you guys have really nailed that. Now, if we go back to those early days... Did you know from day one that this was a category creation play and that you were going to need to create a new category? Or was there ever a stage where you thought this was going to just transform or disrupt a legacy category?
0: So my story or my journey, I was at, at Gainsight prior, which uh, actually pioneered the customer success category. And I actually saw sort of what that looked like, which is very cool experience. I also learned a ton. And, you know, I left Gainsight and decided to start my own company And actually, you know, worked on a couple of different ideas and kind of tested out different ideas for companies in parallel. And the idea was to see which idea has traction. And that was super helpful time because, you know, actually trying out ideas, having conversations with real customers or real prospects gave me perspective for what idea actually had traction, what idea could be big. And, you know, I would literally cold call people and say like, hey, do you have this issue? Hey, like, is this a problem for you? And some of the ideas that I worked on were terrible and nobody cared about it. And they would just like hang up on the phone and you know, they're like, that's They're calling. But the idea of, hey, the data is wrong. What can I do about this? Or why am I always the last person to hear about this? Why am I hearing from downstream consumers that the data is wrong? And why is it taking me so much time to fix data problems? And my entire team is focused on that. That problem had such a strong pull and such a strong reaction from people, it became clear that there is a huge problem here. And in speaking with hundreds of people, it became clear that this is a problem that exists across industries, across stages. And it also became clear to me that it's going to be a problem that's going to be worse over time because people are going to be using data more data is going to become more critical to companies' operations, more critical to companies' products. And because of that, the accuracy and reliability of data will become even more important. So all of that was clear. However, there was no way to describe that today. Maybe this, the most similar, or at the time, the most similar or sort of close to it was data quality. But data quality didn't quite capture the extent of the problem and approach the solution that we were that we were going after. And so at that point, our first question was: is there a real problem to solve here? Yes. Do we think this is, you know, a problem that many teams have today and it'll get worse? Yes. Is there a way to describe the solution today? No, that is where the innovation is. And so, as a, you know, following these sort of three observations, we did realize we need to create the category
1: here. Mm-hmm. all hands that everyone involved there in the early days? Did you have a, you know, a SEAL team that was focused on this? Or where did that fit into the overall team structure?
0: Oh, this is 100% a company-wide thing. So I don't think that, you know, I think it's very hard to create categories, period. And for us, I mentioned Monte Carlo is really kind of the rise of data observability, I would say, is following the rise of data infrastructure. So if you look at the last five to 10 years, I mentioned there's a rise of companies like Snowflake, Databricks, uh, technologies like BigQuery, Redshift, each of them with, you know rumored anywhere between a million and two million in revenue, not market cap, just revenue. And so that means that data teams are investing a ton in data infrastructure. And now it's a little bit unresponsible, irresponsible to actually not have confidence that that data is accurate. And so people's like, it's kind of like Monday time now for data teams. You know, organizations really want to use that data and not having confidence in it makes it extremely hard to, to do that. And so that is something that's happening in the market, regardless of Monte Carlo and the team at hand. We did at Monte Carlo, you know, from very early day, focusing on this. I mean, I personally focus on this a ton. We have an amazing team that Molly uh, Borwick leads and can talk a little bit about her work as well. But then it also is a company-wide thing. So I'll talk about these three things. So specifically, from my perspective, you know, how I'm spending my time on this, you know, category creation is sort of a key focus for me from day one. So, you know, I probably do between one and three speaking opportunities per week for the last three and a half years or so since we started Monte Carlo. And those are speaking opportunities on podcasts such as this, you know, conferences, in-person, virtual, uh, really sort of various opportunities to kind of discuss data topics. You know, we write a lot of content. So actually, I, you know, I wrote our first blog post before we actually officially created the company. And my very first blog post was, it was called Rise of Data Downtime. And it was actually a description of what it felt like to experience this pain of, hey, I'm responsible for the data. We're using data as a company, but the data is wrong all the time. And I'm so frustrated by that. And I don't know what to do. And I was describing, you know, real experiences that I had back in 2016 when I was at gainside responsible for the data team so from day one you know kind of sharing my experiences speaking in both you know my language and customers language and describing the problems something that I did from back then and I still spend a ton of time on that I mean I would say the work is more around kind of bringing our customers together so I actually spend you know a lot of time also in small sort of round tables meeting customers having them speak to each other about their problems at the end of the day it's kind of about helping them solve problems together. that's kind of examples on sort of what I do. We have our team that Molly leads. She's amazing. She's phenomenal. And, you know, that varies from, you know, interviewing customers, understanding what's top of mind for them. We oftentimes write about topics that are actually not related to Monte Carlo or data observability, but rather topics that are just top of mind for our customers. I'll give you an example. Um, Data mesh was a topic that was super top of mind for folks a few years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And people were like, you know, there's no resources about the topic and we're not sure we want to learn more about it. And, you know, that was an opportunity for us to help give back to the community and write about a topic that was super top of mind. And so, no, that's just an example for something that we spend, we spend time on and with Molly's team. And then from a company perspective, you know, I mentioned category creation. This product hasn't existed before. And so our product team is basically building a product that's completely innovative. There isn't anything like this that they can, you know, look to. We're drawing on, you know, we're drawing corollaries from DevOps and SecOps, or we're taking concepts that have already been proven for engineering teams, for SRE teams, for SecOps teams, but it's new in the data field. And so, you know, our product team, product engineering team is defining what the product should look like for this category. And, you know, our marketing team is responsible for sort of spreading or, you know, speaking with customers or getting the, you know, building the awareness around the fact that there is a solution for this problem. And then, you know, our sales and customer success team are helping make sure that, you know, the customers that we work with are happy and, and can see a ton of value and can actually, like, you know, deliver reliable products for their organization so that they can further their organizations. So I do view this as a company wide effort. Every single function of the team and every single organization contributes to it. We have very clear sense of how we do that on, on every level.
1: And what about naming the category? So a lot of the founders listening in and the founders that we've had come on and just founders in general, you know, they always talk about what's the name of the category and, and how do you get the name right? I think data observability is such a perfect name. It's not tied too closely to Monte Carlo, so others can use it, which you, of course, need them to do if you want to create a category. So how did you get that name right? And then how early in the journey did you coin that term?
0: It's a good question, with a funny story. So I totally agree with you. And I think language matters a lot. And that is actually a lesson that I had from my time at Gainsight. So when we were at Gainsight, I was fortunate to be part of the company and, and create the category of customer success you know, in the very early days of that, customers did or people did business, you know, mostly like a handshake or it was really hard to kind of understand or sort of quantify whether, you know, customers are happy and what that looks like. And really the whole concept of customer success didn't exist at all. And early, you know, early at Gainsight, I remember there was sort of a question of like, what should the category be created? And there was a lot of time and energy spent coming up with that name, customer success. And, you know, what was, I think, unique about customer success is like, Everybody wants customer success, right? Like you can't disagree with customer success. Everybody wants that. Today, you know, it's really cool to see how that's become some popularized for sure. And so what we try to do was bring words from solutions in other industries. So I mentioned that we look at solutions in DevOps and SecOps and specifically observability and reliability are concepts that are very well understood in engineering. But if you ask a data person five years ago, they would definitely not be aware of that you know, another change that has happened in the last couple of years is that data has moved into engineering. More and more engineering people are actually working on data. And so there are more people in data who understand or sort of know what observability is and the concept of software engineering. And so, you know, in the early days, we sort of were like, okay, why don't we try to take some of those concepts and bring them over? Another concept is sort of application downtime or infrastructure downtime as a way to describe the problem and bringing that over to data downtime. And so we coined that term, data downtime, periods of time when your data is wrong or inaccurate or erroneous. And the solution being data observability. Now, in the early days, I actually had a couple of people who told me, that is such a terrible word. We're never going to be able to pronounce it. It's so hard to say, you know, English is my second language. It's still hard for me to pronounce observability. And so it was really controversial. And I was actually totally against the term for a while. But then, you know, listening to customers, they just kept repeating those words and they just kept using those words. And they started writing blogs using data observability. And they started writing updates on LinkedIn and Twitter and social media using data observability. So really, you know, it was not up to me, if you will. I just had to admit the reality, which is this is what the market and customers are telling us. So it was, I wish I could take credit, but not at all, actually, to the contrary.
1: Yeah, and it's crazy if you're just doing a Google search for data observability, there's so much content. Of course, a lot of it leads back to your site, but there's just a lot of other people talking about it. When other people are talking about it, do they have the same point of view and the same general definition around what it means? Or do you see that different groups define this category in a different way and this discipline in a different way?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, it's the early days of a category, right? Like a hot second ago, no one even knows what it is. You know, I think today we're at a place where any data team needs to have sort of core five things. Like you have your data warehouse, your data lake, your BI, your ETL and data observability. Like you just can't, can't do anything without having those five in place. I do think, you know, there are just like what's the definition of a data warehouse or a data you know or a data lake and now there's a data lake house right so i think some of these definitions are in flux and change over time and similarly with observability it is early days and so there's different def- definitions in different places but you know it's really nice to see you know, organizations like O'Reilly and Gartner and many others sort of, you know, that, that have kind of strong credibility with their customers sort of adopt some of these concepts and the definition of data observability that, that Monte Carlo sort of believes in. So I, I expect it to continue and change over time, but it's, uh, yeah, early days.
1: And I see that G2 has this established as a category, and I think you mentioned Gartner there. How important do you think analyst relations is to category creation?
0: You know, it's a good question. When we started the company, a lot of the advice that I got around category creation from other folks who've done it was like, hey, you know, working with analysts is something that takes time. Uh, And so it's probably something that's like way later in the company's life. And I was, you know, really surprised by how early we already had analysts reach out to us and ask us to help, you know, provide a perspective and, you know, for folks to speak with customers. And so, I was surprised by how quickly analysts and folks were, you know, looking into making this sort of an official category. I think this it was way earlier than I had expected. And I attribute that to the fact that data observability has, you know, become so important in the last few years. Again, because data has become so important in the last few years. Like, it's not because we made it up and then it just became important. It's because data is important. So you need to make sure the data is accurate. And so people actually need this thing. and you know. I'll be honest, I'm really pleased to see sort of analysts, you know, take note and engage. And so I think it's awesome. But I think for, you know, fellow founders and startups, I would say sometimes that's something that comes a little bit later. I think for us, it has come early and we're happy with that. But that's not always the case. I think category creation and startups in general is like a long term game. And if you're in it for the long term, then that's the most important part.
1: Makes a lot of sense. And if you reflect on your category creation efforts so far, and I promise this is the last category creation related question, but if you reflect on that journey, what would you say is like the number one or maybe two thing that you've learned along the way or something that you wish you had known before you embarked on this journey?
0: You know, there's something I know this sounds cliche, but there's something that just I have to keep reminding myself all all the time, which is, you know, the answer lies with your customers. That is just always, always true. And it's It's very tempting to think that like, you know, the answer or you have some gut around it or maybe your experiences should impact this. Our customers are just, you know, the true north always and forever. You know, and we actually our first value is called customer impact. And when we started the company or, you know, when we sort of created the values, we were like four or five people. And, you know, I came over from Gainsight, which is customer success. And I was like, oh, this is so cliche. It's like we have a customer impact or customer success. Value, I really can't, you know, I can't present that to the team. It's, you know, it's not going to be great. And so, you know, I spoke with the team and the team was like, are you serious? Are you crazy? Nothing matters about customer impact. What are we here for if not, you know, to deliver value and impact on our customers? It has to be the first value. And obviously, they were totally right. And, you know, that stayed our first value since, you know, speaking about our customers in this true north for, you know, our team or product or brand, everything has to create sort of delight and happiness and value. But that is easy, I think, easy to forget if you don't sort of, if you don't put that front and center. So, you know, just a tactical example. In the early days, you know, we, we were shipping the early MVPs and there was a feature that I was 100% sure would be very important. And that was because it was very important to me as a data leader prior to starting Money Carlo. And I was so wrong. Like nobody used that feature. Like three and a half years later, nobody's looking at that. And on the other hand, something that I did totally, you know, didn't think would work actually picked up. And, you know, we had customers saying, this is amazing. We want to get started as soon as possible. And I was so surprised. And so I think we're very careful at Monte Carlo to not listen to anyone but the customer. Literally, no one else knows the answer. Nothing else matters. What's most important is to get something out there as soon as possible, get feedback on it and learn from that. And again, I think it's, you know, it can be really cliche to say, but there's a very big difference between saying that and actually delivering on that every single day.
1: Yeah, because I hear a lot of companies that say, hey, you know, we're customer first and things like that, or we're pro-customer. Like, I don't know any company that's necessarily like anti-customer. And it it seems like what happens a lot of times is people say that, and then it's like a, a core value that just exists on like, a boardroom that no one ever goes in or you know, just a core value that's on the website, but it's not real. But it sounds like you found a way to make that very real in the organization.
0: Yeah, I would say it's a constant journey on that or a constant battle to keep the customer in mind. And I think of it as something that you have to continue actively doing on it because you know people, I think, naturally drift to thinking about themselves or looking at other things. And so continuously focusing on how do we keep the customers front and center? And so just a couple examples. One, you know, in your values, but actually like, you know, speak and use your values, right? Not just like put it somewhere. Second, it's in your hiring. So when we hire people, you know, both folks in management positions or not, we try to understand what motivates them. And if we understand that you care about making an impact about your customers, that is what we look for. But if you, you know, care about, Other things, Monte Carlo might not be a great place for you. So we like to hire people who are obsessed about what can we do to make, to bring value to customers. And we look for that very, very carefully in the hiring. And we screen for that pretty aggressively. Another example, you know, when we, in all of our written communications and all of our company priorities and company goals, I repeat this so much, like my team can't hear it anymore. But like the only thing that matters at Monte Carlo is, you know, working with as many customers as possible, making them as happy as possible. That's it. So, you know, I think in your, in your company communications and your company focus, there's just a couple examples, but, you know, literally everything that we do has to be around that. And so I look for ways to incorporate that. I mean, something that I personally really believe in is like physical sort of, you know, ways to, to remind us. So I have like, you know, sticky notes for myself to, you know, to keep reminding myself for specific things. But, Obviously, it's very important that you know. I personally set an example with this, and so, you know, I speak with with many customers on an ongoing basis, and you know, not planning on stopping that.
1: Amazing, love that. And if we look at your day to day motivations and just what your day to day typically looks like, so for you, how do you stay motivated day to day? I think you're four or five years into the company now, and, and that's probably the the point where a lot of founders, I think, you know, may start to experience some level of burnout. So. What's that like for you now that you're you know, four or five years in? And what are you doing to stay motivated?
0: Well, first, I love my job. It's hard for me to consider this as a job, honestly. Like, I think I heard someone describe this as kind of like, you know, playing your favorite game and just being on the field all the time. That's really all I want to do. I want to be on the field with my team and play the game. That's what I'm excited about. Honestly, like, I had very high expectations for this job before I started. And I'm pleased to say that it's better than what I expected, <laughs> I get so much energy and fulfillment and satisfaction for making an impact on people's lives. And the fact that we, you know, we have something that actually helps customers and, you know, they'll email me and say, like, we love working with you all. And you guys have like totally changed the way that we work. Can't imagine doing our jobs without Monte Carlo. And, and you know, we love working with your team. That's amazing, right? The ability to do that. And then, you know, I also get personal satisfaction from solving really difficult challenges and trying to do things that seem impossible together with amazing people. So another one of our values is called beat the odds, which is basically like if we haven't failed or heard, no, like we probably didn't try hard enough. And we went as a team and we pull each other together to overachieve. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, you know, learn so much and am inspired every single day from my team members. I just consider it, you know, the greatest honor of my life to be able to work with them and, and to build this company. So, yeah, I'm honestly just really grateful that I get to do this every day. I wake up excited and can't wait to do more of it.
1: That's so cool. And you can tell in your voice how excited you are about this. So it's always fun speaking with founders who have that level of enthusiasm still. 100%. Now, last question here for you. Let's zoom out into the future three to five years from today. What's that high level vision and, and what are you looking to achieve?
0: Well, first of all, you know, I hope we don't lose that focus on our customers. As I mentioned, that's probably the most important. You know, I think maybe sort of zooming out a little bit, I do think that, you know, when we started the company, we're looking or kind of thinking through sort of a problem that we think can be really meaningful and could allow us to have an opportunity to build a company that, you know, will make a long-lasting impact on an industry, change an industry, and be a durable, strong, you know, company. And so that is definitely, has been the goal from day one, which keeps us motivated and and what we're excited about in addition to, for sure, And I think part of that is, you know, seeing delivering on this promise of data. So I think, you know, our mission at Monte Carlo is to help accelerate the adoption of data by reducing what we call data downtime. And I'm very bullish on how we use data, both, you know, in our personal lives and in organizations. So, you know, three, five, 10 years down the line, I'm stoked to see how we're going to use data. I hope the data that we use is actually accurate, reliable. I would be very sad if that's not the case. And I'm very excited for Monte Carlo to, to play a huge part in that and to build the biggest company that we can.
1: Amazing. I love it. Bar, we are up on time. I'd love to keep you here and ask you another 20 or 30 questions, but we do have to wrap here. Before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build and execute on this vision, where should they go?
0: Welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Bar Moses, or email me, bar at MonteCarloData.com. Yeah, excited to connect with folks.
1: Awesome. Barr, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, talk about what you're building, share lessons about your category creation journey and just everything that you're building. This has been a super fun interview and I wish you the best of luck in executing on this vision going forward. It's been a lot of fun. All right, take care.